Hi, I'm Tony Mala, and welcome to the ASA Podcast, a program for automotive professionals that helps keep you ahead of what's now, what's new, and what's next in the business of automotive service and collision repair. This podcast is brought to you by the Automotive Service Association, dedicated to driving your success. And we'll be sharing information, insight, and inspiration that will not just help you make a living, it will help you make a difference. Hi, I'm talking today with Eric Jern, Managing Accountant at James Hamlin and Companies, CPAs and Advisors. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tony. Much appreciated. Glad you could join us. I've invited Eric back. He's been on our program before. Uh, you may recall Eric being with Bob Redding, our Washington representative, and Ray Fisher on a webinar we did a while ago talking about the stimulus packages. And we wanted to bring Eric back to talk about a couple of other programs since right now everything's kind of locked up in Washington, but people are still going back to work or in some cases not. And we wanted to hear a little bit about three things. We wanted to talk about the Family First Coronavirus Recovery Act, also known as FFCRA, a little bit about emergency paid sick leave, and then finally the Main Street Loan Program. And Eric has graciously agreed to come on the show and talk to us about that. So once again, Eric, thanks and welcome. My pleasure. Yes, PPP and EIDL have stolen the spotlight, but we are starting to see a little bit of resurgence on the COVID cases. So there are some programs that kind of rose to importance at this point. But there's also another loan program that a lot of people don't know about, probably not the best fit across the board, but provides some opportunities for many different shops to do some interesting things. So we'd like to bring that to the spotlight. We'll dive into the Family First Coronavirus Recovery Act, which has two main parts in it, emergency paid sick leave and the expanded Family Medical Leave Act. So that's the FMLA. Most people would know it as that, but they've expanded it, so they've added an E at the end. So both programs are meant to provide some financial security for both the employer and the employee. We'll jump into the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act first. This act provides a payroll tax credit for two weeks' worth of wages paid to an employee who's unable to work. Two weeks covers 80 hours. The reasons why that you'd be able to provide that are they're following a federal, state, or local quarantine or stay-at-home order, or they're quarantined by a healthcare provider. They might have COVID-19 symptoms and are seeking a diagnosis, or they might have to care for someone who's following a federal, state, or local quarantine, stay-at-home order, or are quarantined by a healthcare provider. So if they're caring for an elder, if they're caring for a sibling, that would be included in that. They might have to care for a child whose school child care provider or place of care is unavailable due to COVID-19. And this program comes as a tax credit that will offset the payroll tax deposits that you normally make after running your payrolls. And then it's reconciled on the quarterly payroll tax return form 941. Gotcha. So it's basically a tax credit that the business can use to aid their employees taking advantage of the emergency paid sick leave, right? Absolutely. So it's limited to, and it's hard to call it limited, it's $511 a day or $5,100 over a two-week period. So there's plenty of room in there for your higher compensated technicians, service advisors, service managers. So it's not restricted down to a a small dollar amount. Uh, It's open to private employers with under 500 employees. 
in our industry in the automotive aftermarket, that's pretty expansive. And there's another limitation if it's because you're caring for another. So either that family member or the child that's stuck at home, that dollar amount does go down to 200 a day and 2000 over a two-week period per employee. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good program from a dollar amount standpoint. Is this apply to part-time employees as well, or is that different for them? Yes, it also applies to part-time employees. They are limited to their average hours over a two-week period. So you'd have to calculate, you could choose a two-week period over the recent future. You have to be reasonable about it, choose the right, something that's normal. If they were working a lot of extra hours recently, you might not want to use that. Or if they're working very few hours, you might not want to use that. So something that's pretty average to know what they normally do, mm-hmm. take their average hours, pull those together and figure out what that is, and you can apply that. Interesting. What sort of documentation, what's the process for an employer to account for this? Yeah, that's a great question. So documentation is very key because you want to be able to support this. Uh, I would start with getting some type of written communication from your employee, whether it's an email, a text message, a phone conversation that's documented. Uh, You want to make sure that 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 is communicated correctly. Ideally, you'd create some type of form in which they indicate it, explain it, sign it, return it back to you. Some third-party documentation that might be a good idea uh, could be the actual isolation order that's provided by the federal, state, or local government. Hmm. Could be written documentation from a healthcare provider. Could be some documentation of who that person that they must care for is and why they have to be isolated or quarantined, and some other information of maybe of the school, place of care, child care provider that's closed, why they're closed, a statement from the school, something along those lines that would support the reason for you needing to be watching them and unable to work. Is there any age limit or age restriction on the, is it for younger children? Is there a cutoff limit as to when the children are eligible for this sort of, or whether you know, the parents are eligible for this sort of thing? Yeah, so kids are really going to be the age bracket. Children under 14 or 14 and under, Mm -hmm. that's kind of self-explanatory. They're not able to care for themselves on their own. More than likely, they need somebody to watch them. If they're over age 14, you'd have to provide some type of statement indicating why they're not able to watch over themselves during those hours that you're working. Maybe they have special needs, something along those lines. To, uh, to justify it. Interesting. Well, I know a lot of the shops have actually, some of their employees simply aren't coming back. And some of them have had to hire some replacements. I know that are opening up. When is an employee that a shop has eligible for the, this program we just described? Is it immediately? Is there a time restriction on it? What's, what's the story there? That's a good question. We definitely have a lot of moving parts going on right now. There is a 30-day window, so they need to be employed for 30 days before they're eligible for this sick pay leave. And is that true for both full-time and part-time as we were discussing? Yes, that's correct. What are some of the concerns that employers and, and employees need to keep in mind when they're going through this sort of thing with regards to sick leave? Yeah, another great question. What I've heard back from other business owners, shop owners, is that they're nervous that their employees are going to take advantage of the situation. They're going to get two weeks 
paid vacation, essentially, if they say they're sick. So they might say that they ran into somebody who has caught COVID and they need to go out for testing. And we all know that's, a, that's kind of a lengthy process. There's not a very fast turnaround. So they're worried that if one employee gets paid for it, the rest of the employees might say, I, I don't want to do this. And this could create a detrimental effect on the business. So there's actually an exception for small employers with less than 50 employees. If they can document a reason that either providing the sick pay or the unavailability of their employees would jeopardize the viability of the business, that they'd be exempt from having to provide this. However, it's a great program. It's helping the employee. It's helping the employer. It's going to help prevent the spread of this. So I think the key is to open up that channel of communication between you and your employees. Explain to them the fact that if they take advantage of the situation, that it could be detrimental to the business. You might have to rescind offering this. And increases the chance of everybody else getting sick. We're going to be in a shutdown longer. Uh, It's just a good idea to be very open with your communication with it. Mm. Well, and with a program like that, helping to offset the financial issues, I would imagine people would be more likely to be honest, for lack of a better word, about how they feel and if they suspect they are infected with the COVID virus. Exactly. It's definitely a time where you never want to come to work no matter how you feel. Yeah, it's been a challenge for all of us. Again, uh, I'm here in Texas, and as we all know, that's one of the hotspot states. So I know a lot of us are are concerned about going forward, you know, how this is all going to play out. And we're still waiting to hear on the next phase of the stimulus package. So there's lots of apprehension out there. Absolutely. And, And we're in Illinois, and we are going to be hearing about new restrictions coming up. So this isn't in the rear view time to educate yourself on these programs and help out the business. Well, let's turn our attention to the FMLA, uh, the leave expansion you had mentioned. Tell me a little bit about that. I think most businesses are familiar with the Family Medical Leave Act. The Family Medical Leave Act was put into place to help people who have to be out of work for a period of time. One of the most frequent uses of that is childbirth, giving them time with their newborn. It's protecting their jobs so they could be gone for a period of time. So they've expanded it because of the current conditions to include employees in which they must be away from work to care for a child because their school or child care provider is closed. But this actually provides an opportunity for them to provide compensation to that employee still and be reimbursed similar to the sick pay program. How much leave do they cover? The employees will have up to 12 weeks of leave. So this program is inclusive of the sick pay. So you couldn't stack 12 weeks on top of two weeks. Mm -hmm. So technically it could be if they want to reserve that two-week period in case they get sick, they could take the first two weeks unpaid or they could take the whole 12 weeks paid. And that's going to be limited to that $200 per day dollar figure. So the time that you mentioned is included in and not in addition to the total Family Medical Leave Act 12-week entitlement, right? That's correct. Okay. I wanted to be clear on that. Do they have to take it all as one chunk? How does that work? It's actually an interesting flexibility that they added in there. It's flexible enough. So if they needed to take, say, four hours, half a day, right, they only needed to go and 
watch their child for half a day and somebody else could come relieve them. You can actually use it in these small blocks just to help keep everybody working yet able to manage their at-home life and everybody to stay safe and healthy. Interesting. Can you walk me through the pay again? Uh, You said the first 10 days, I think, of leave are unpaid, right? Yep. So you have an option. So you can take, you could use the sick pay leave Mm -hmm. that we talked about earlier and cover that first 10 days, or you can exclude it and have the, the next 10 weeks available. And then you could use that sick pay later on in the year. So the benefit would be is if you're, if you get directly sick later in the year, you're entitled to that higher dollar amount per day threshold, that $510. Oh, okay. Whereas if you use it as part of your expanded family medical leave pay, that's all limited to that $200 per day. So you might have to do some decision-making on that. Ideally, if you're taking the proper precautions, you'd probably use the whole 12 weeks up front. For example, if I have some vacation time accrued, could I use some of that to offset it? Absolutely. Hmm. Vacation days, personal days, if, you have, if your employer provides sick days, those all can cover those first 10 days. Now, you had said the pay doesn't exceed $200 per day under the, the conditions we're discussing. Is there any maximum cap on that amount? Yep. It caps out 10000 in total or 12000 if they're also using that emergency paid sick leave for the first two weeks. And I think I know the answer to this question, but it doesn't carry over if you don't use it all up in 2020, right? Yep. Both of these programs have a hard cutoff of 1231 of 2020. Let's talk about how you compute this. Now, you said there was one of two methods for computing the number of hours. Can we go over that again? Yeah. So we have two methods for computing the number of hours paid. So if the employee has worked six months or more, it is the average number of hours that the employee was scheduled per day over the six-month period, ending on the date on which the employee takes the leave. And that includes the hours, I assume, for which the employee took leave of any type, right? That's correct. Okay. Now, if the employees worked less than six months, then the expected numbers of hours to be scheduled per day at that time is what you would calculate that at. How do the employees request the leave? Is there a process there? Yeah, this process should be a little bit more formal. So they would have to provide written notice. Uh, Again, it's another good opportunity to get a written document for them to fill out and submit to you. The notice would need to include things like the name and age of the child or children that are being cared for, the name of the school, place of care, or the child care provider that's closed, and a statement representing that nobody else is able to care for the child during the period. Mm -hmm. For children over the age of 14, again, this is the same as the sick pay leave. A statement would need to indicate that there's special circumstances for them to need that direct supervision. Both forms, I would definitely recommend that you have your labor law attorney Mm -hmm. give them a once-over. It's definitely a good idea. They're doing this all the time now. And most labor law attorneys are providing a monthly subscription service, so you're free to have all these things checked for a pretty nominal fee. It's definitely good to have in weird times like now where you might be facing these different situations and unique items that might come up. Are there any standard forms to fill out what we're discussing, or is this something you kind of have to make up on your own? 
As of now, there's no standard form. I'd imagine that they'll come up with one, but if, as long as it includes the items that we discussed, it should be comprehensive enough. Okay. But you do recommend once the employer gets the form filled out with their employee, they do run it by their attorney, right? Yeah, especially since this is a long-term program. It's definitely a good idea just to have that conversation. Make sure you're not missing a nook or cranny because that's when things end up becoming an issue with this. Well, caution is the watchword here. I, I get that. Last thing I wanted to talk about, I've heard about something called the Main Street New Loan Program. Can you tell me a little bit about that? How does that work? Yeah, definitely. So this is a large loan program. The reason why I say it's a large loan program, minimum loan is $500,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's not going to apply to most shops. You know, most shops aren't going to need that type of capital for their efforts. Mm -hmm. However, if you're maybe a single store owner or multi-store owner, and you're looking to acquire another shop, uh, build out a new location, uh, or maybe move an existing shop, it, it could be a, a really good option. How are the interest rates for this type of a loan? Is it comparable to what he would get from their own resources? Or, Yeah, in my opinion, I think the interest rates are really favorable. The rate is adjustable LIBOR rate plus 300 basis points. So that means currently is about 3.15% to 3.25%. I'm not seeing it much better for loan programs outside of maybe the economic injury disaster loan. It gives a one-year deferral on payments. So that's why I brought up things like acquiring a new shop or moving a shop where you might not have that instantaneous cash flow in. So it gives you a year to get back on your feet, get that new shop established, get that new location established, start generating cash flow so you can start servicing the loan. Now it does have a shorter maturity period of four years. Mm. So that could provide some complications. There are opportunities to refinance that debt later on as well. So it's a pretty flexible program. It is limited, though, to four times EBITDA. So that's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, mm -hmm. or $25 million. Oh. <laughs> so this would be a program for the multi-shop operators. Absolutely. Actually, there's quite a few of them out there. A lot of our collision shops have more than one location. And several more than several, actually, of our mechanical members have multiple locations, some as many as 10 or 12. And I assume the EBITDA you discussed is, is that amortized across the entire enterprise? Yeah. So that would depend on, you know, your structuring of the, uh, of the legal entities holding the shops, who's going to be part of the loan program. So that's going to be very specific. I guess I'll throw a little plug in for making sure that you structure your entities correctly when you're going to become a, a multi-shop owner. Interesting. Well, that is probably another conversation we need to have at some point down the road when this craziness finally works itself out. <laughs> yep. But these are three actually interesting programs, as you said, most people don't know about. So if they had any questions or wanted more information on these, is there a resource or a website that is available to get more information on them? Yeah, there is a litany of resources available. The Department of Labor has a ton of resources on both the Sick Pay Leave Act as well as the Expanded Family Medical Leave Act. My advice on the Main Street lending programs, talk to your bank. You might not be able to go to your local bank. It's going to be offered by more limited, more experienced lenders, maybe even some specialty lenders. 
So if your bank doesn't offer it and if they cannot refer you to someone, you can reach out to me. I have a relationship with a few banks that are participating in this program and they'd be a great resource. Well, if any of our listeners are interested in this program or any of the programs we've been discussing and you'd like to talk more about it, just send me an email. Send it to my email address is Tony M, T-O-N-Y-M, at ASAShop.org, and I'll pass them along to Eric, and hopefully the two of you will be able to have a conversation. So I appreciate that offer, Eric. That's great. My pleasure. Well, I got to thank you for your time today. This has been enlightening, as always. I'm sure you and I are going to be talking soon. You're a fountain of information here for all of our shops. And uh, with everything that's going on, uh, we're not out of the woods yet. So I'm sure there's going to be quite a bit more to talk about. So again, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Take care. Thanks. You too. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're brand new to the ASA podcast or if you've been here before, I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss some of the great things we have coming up in our future episodes. Just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening and you'll be good to go. If you enjoy our podcast and find our content valuable, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to this. And if you're an automotive service facility shop owner listening to this podcast and you'd like to know more about ASA, I invite you to visit our website at asashop.org. I'm Tony Mala, and thanks for listening.